Hello and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. And I don't know who's taking it over today, Jeff. Who's who's opening the program up? Go ahead. Well, I guess I'll do so. This is Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. And we have the full complement. We have Chase Spires in Fishers, Indiana. Hello, Chase. And Chase is not hearing me or I'm not hearing him. But anyway, we'll figure that out. Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Hi, Jeff. Good to, good to be with you. And Again. Michael Zhang just down the hallway from me here in Exton, Pennsylvania. Hello. All right. Good afternoon, guys. So I think, Joe, I think I heard you volunteer right before we went live that you're going to bring us up to speed as to where we are in the book of Acts. Sure. Be happy to. So just kind of zooming it through, we were introduced to a man named Saul, uh, persecuted the church, helped in the murder of Stephen, is converted, uh, meets the Lord on the road to Damascus, is converted, begins uh, traveling around the the world uh, to, to preach the gospel. We have three missionary journeys, we often use that phrase. And on, at the end of that third journey, or actually it's not the end, he doesn't finish it, he reaches Jerusalem in Acts 21, and uh, while he's in Jerusalem bringing some funds to help the needy saints, uh, he is uh, arrested. He's falsely charged um, uh, with uh, uh, defaming the, the temple and uh, is falsely accused of speaking against the law of Moses and bringing Gentiles into the temple area. And uh, he is nearly killed by the Jewish mob is saved by the Roman soldiers and then is nearly beaten by the Roman soldiers, uh, escapes that by proclaiming his Roman citizenship, has a chance to speak again to the Jewish mob on the steps, um, uh, and yet, um, or, or well, he does that before, then he goes to the, the Roman soldiers, and then he has a chance to speak to the Sanhedrin council, they nearly pull him in half as they're tugging at him. Um, uh, and so he's brought again uh, by the uh, Romans. And uh, then at that point, he stands before the governor, whose name was Felix, and uh, has a chance to proclaim his innocence, but really spends a lot of his time proclaiming Jesus Christ. And uh, Felix doesn't take a stand. It leaves him in prison for two years until uh, he is uh, replaced by a man named Festus. And uh, that's about where we're ready to pick up there, I guess. I'm sure I left out some significant details, so feel free to, to fill in there. Now, that gets us to where we are. So so uh, he's brought before, he is, he is asked if he's willing to be brought before the Jewish council again. And, of course, the Jews have plotted to kill him on the way if he does come. He refuses and appeals to Caesar. And so that's where we are. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Chase, you want to read? Just get verses 10 through 12. Chapter 25, right? Yep. Paul replied, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I've done no wrong to the Jews, as even you yourself know very well. If then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I'm not trying to escape death, but if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then, after Festus conferred with his council, he replied, You've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. 
Yeah, and I guess part of this is um, this takes it out of Festus's hands. He doesn't have to be responsible. He doesn't have to uh, give account to the Jews as to why he let Paul go. Um, he doesn't have to give account to his own superiors as to why he put an innocent man to death or kept him in prison. It, it's off his plate. Um, and so there he goes. Any, anything else anybody wants to observe here before going into verse 13? So what do you think about the statement in verse 11? Um, if I've committed anything worthy of death, I do not object to dying. Uh, that seems to me to be a another verse that would show that God, the Bible, is not opposed to the death penalty. Yeah, I'm not sure that 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 Paul is trying to make that statement here. I actually kind of like the, I, I need to go back and look at it, but Chase, just read that statement again in the translation you have, just the first half of verse 11, up to the point yes, where sir. he refuses not to die. Yes, sir. If then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I am not trying to escape death. And and then a little bit more. Oh, but no, I guess, there is... I, I guess that's it. Um, uh, so, and, and the, the tone of that probably captures what Paul is saying here, or we can discuss it, but that what he's saying is, look, I'm not just trying to weasel my way out of the consequences that may, may, maybe I have coming. I don't have them coming. Uh, and I'm making this appeal because I don't have them coming and I'm, I'm going to Caesar. So I don't know that he's making a statement one way or the other about the righteousness of the death penalty. Um, but yeah, I, I know I, that argument's often made. Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree with that. I'm just saying that I think in his statement there is the implication or the assumption that there are things that are worthy of death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and and we and certainly certainly that is true. There are things that are worthy of death. We go all the way back to Genesis nine. Uh, one of the first things we see long before the law of Moses, uh, if a man sheds blood by man his blood's gonna be shed and and that doesn't even have to comment one way or the other on the person who does the shedding of blood it's just saying it's righteous it's just that you give your life if you take a life right um yeah paul paul was a jew he, he knew what jewish law said and if he had actually done what he's being accused of he's acknowledging according to jewish law i understand that the death penalty is what's waiting for me yeah. But his point here is, I haven't, I haven't done anything. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I think so. All right, Michael, let's get to verse 13. And how about reading for us uh, down through, ooh, you know what? Let me read here because I'm not sure where I want to stop. So I'm going to start in verse 13. Is that all right, guys? All right. Uh, now, when certain days were passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and saluted Festus. And as they tarried there many days, I guess just hanging out, Festus, it doesn't say that in the text, I added that. Uh, Festus tarried there many days. Uh, Festus, I'm sorry. And as they tarried there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying, there's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix about whom when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me asking for sentence against him to whom I answered, that it is not the custom of the Romans to give up any man before that the accused have the accusers face to face and have had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the matter laid against him. When therefore they were 
come together here. I made no delay, but on the next day, sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought. Of course, he's talking about bringing Paul. Concerning whom, when the accuser stood up, they brought no charge of such evil things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own religion and of one Jesus who was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And I, being perplexed how to inquire concerning these things, asked whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appealed to be kept for the decision of the emperor, I commanded him to be kept till I should send him to Caesar. And Agrippa said to Festus, I also could wish to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, says he, you shall hear him. All right, let's talk through this representation of Festus's about this prisoner that he has. Well, it is interesting to want? think about this, uh, the, the, these royal people coming together, talking about this lowly man, Paul, uh, that has really, you, you mentioned earlier that it's kind of gotten Festus off the hook. Uh, that he doesn't have to make a decision in front of the Jews, yeah. but it's also kind of gotten him from out of the frying pan into the fire. What's he going to say to uh, to Caesar? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sending you this prisoner. I don't know why. You yeah. can't do that. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like incompetence on the part of the local governor. <laughs> can, can can you imagine a, a spouse sending one of their children to the other spouse and saying? You know, uh, go go talk to dad or whatever, and and it, I, I I don't know what you're gonna say. I, you know, I, I don't really just, just go. Uh, <laughs> actually, actually, I can't imagine that. But, <laughs> but yeah, so he he does have a problem. You're right. He he's 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 gotten out of one problem, but now he's got to come up with some statement that he's gonna send accompanying Paul to Caesar. And, and so he's chatting Agrippa up saying, you got any ideas? And Agrippa's happy to, to hear about this. So, all right. Um, anything else we want to observe there before we go on into verse 23? I mean, do, do we want to talk about Agrippa and Bernice or Bernice? Yeah, okay, sure. Right, I, mean, I mean, maybe if we had a chart or something that we could show. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, who, Chase. better? Let's do this on the air. Let's do it live. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, Joe and each have a chart. Well, you know what? We should. We should have you both put up your charts and then let the audience send votes and, and say who's they like. I, well, I, I'm just going to go ahead and give in because I can't do it off my phone. So um, let's just assume that Chase's is better. Okay. So... So we've we've been talking about a lot of Herods in the book of Acts. And so, of course, there was a Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded in the gospel accounts in Matthew and Mark. Um, so that's Herod Antipas. But he had a brother over here named Aristobulus who ends up having a son named Herod Agrippa. And he ends up having James decapitated in James uh, Acts 12. What's that, Jeff? I, th I think, I, I'm, forgive me if I'm mistaken, but I think you misspoke there. It was Herod the Great, who is not Herod Antipas, who beheaded John. No, no, I'm sorry. I was confusing beheading John with going after the children when Jesus was born. I'm sorry. I skipped yeah. a generation. So, You're right. Sorry for interrupting. So this Herod up here, he's the one that Jeff is just describing, the one that had went after Jesus. He had five different wives. They're all represented in blue here. And, of course, all the yellow are the children that he had. This one decapitated Herod Antipas, um, had yeah. John the Baptist beheaded, 
And then this Herod, which would have been this one's nephew in Acts 12, has James, um, one of the apostles, decapitated. But then he has three lovely children, Drusilla, who was married to Felix that we met back in Acts 24. And now we're also talking about Bernice, who is married to Herod Agrippa III, which is actually her uncle. And she's being talked about here. Um, so very, very incestuous uh, family. Um, really, really sad. But that's uh, that's who we're talking about right here. So. So she is, what is she, is she half sister to Herod Agrippa II or is she? Correct. She's, uh, uh, sorry. I don't know. I don't know if she's full, but I don't know if they have a shared mother. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Okay. I, I, I didn't remember. I don't she's, remember. She's his aunt, half sister. Uh, yeah. she, she's what, Joe? I, I, th I think that would make her his aunt and half sister. And uh, yeah, uh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Very good. Okay, so she comes along, and, and there, I, well, I believe it. Okay, so she comes along for the ride, and we're to verse 23. Michael, take us from verse 23 to the end of the chapter. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall, and the military tribunes, and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he has done he had done nothing deserving of death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before for you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indict the charges against him. All right. Um, okay. Comments. Well, first, uh, forward, really. Uh, well, Agrippa and Bernice, they came with great pomp and the, uh, the, the contrast between, uh, uh, those who are highly, uh, who are high and exalted on, um, you know, by worldly standards and who actually is great in the kingdom of God, as Jesus himself said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And those who exalt, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we see Paul yeah. as the uh, vessel for the gospel for the gospel of Christ, and he he's just as lowly prisoner in the eyes of the secular world. So I thought that contra contrast contrast was a was an interesting thought. Yeah, that's that's a good observation. Very good observation. Yeah. I I just find it interesting too that like they're coming in and it's like they're excited to be there. Is that kind of the idea? Like they're just so yeah. thrilled to be able to have this opportunity to, but it, you kind and, of see kind of what Michael's talking about their arrogance in the work they do. Yeah. And, and I guess through the years I've often thought, wow, Paul must've really been somebody for all these people to want to come hear him. But on the other hand, maybe that's not what it's about. Maybe it's just, wow, there's an opportunity to hang out with the King and the governor and Berenice and we'll have this big uh, shindig kind of thing where we have pomp and, circumstance yeah i think that's all it is all right so uh we get to chapter 26 uh joe why don't you read for us a little bit go however far you think we need to go then agrippa said to paul you are permitted to speak for yourself so paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself 
I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which you have, which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of, the, of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope, sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Maybe pause there. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right. Um, all right, so there's several things here that, that Paul says that I think are, are, are worth talking about. He talks about his history growing up as a Jew. He, he describes his upbringing as a Jew. Uh, he says, I was, mine says straightest sect. Maybe I didn't catch what yours said, strictest sect of our religion. Right. Pharisee. In Philippians 3, Paul mentions that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He does this a few times when he is when he has opportunity to, to explain some to somebody. Here's why I'm preaching Jesus Christ. It's not that I'm just anti-Jew. I am a Jew. As a matter of fact, I I have been of the strictest sect of Judaism. I believe in in the resurrection like the Pharisees do. Um, that's not the issue. Um, but what he does here is he ties together the historic hope of the Jews resurrection uh with what he's proclaiming in jesus christ um and and one of the things that i often try to point out to people when paul became a christian he did not see himself as becoming as changing from from one religion to another and jewish christians generally in the first century did not see themselves as changing from one religion to another they saw themselves as arriving at what the law of moses and what had pointed them to all along uh, they saw themselves as embracing the Messiah that through what God had told them, they had been expecting all along. And in some aspects, it seemed like Paul is telling um, specifically the Jews who are accusing him that you're not Jewish enough. You you don't understand your own religion enough, because if you did, you would you would also believe in Jesus as I do. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It is his next statement, which is why is it thought incredible by any, any of you that God raises the dead? Right. Because that was... What they were persecuting him about, and and that's that's going to be the theme that continues through the rest of this chapter. Is it reasonable to believe Jesus was raised from the dead? Um, anything else here in this section? Well, just maybe, uh, and and maybe this was said and I missed it. I know my wife. I went out for a minute there. Um, I think it's pretty incredible to think about this conversation even taking place between Paul and Agrippa the second. You know, it's it's Agrippa's dad who murdered one of the apostles and attempted to kill another one, uh, you know, going back to uh, Acts, Acts 12 chapter. Yeah. Um, uh, and so to have to think about that, that his dad was murdering the apostles. Now about that same time, Paul, Saul was involved in that same sort of thing, but uh, this would certainly be a, a, a moment of hesitation. Uh, if I'm going to speak honestly, how much am I going to reveal to the Herodian family what my religious beliefs are? 
you know, his uh, his grandfather murdered the babies. His father uh, murdered John the Baptist and mm -hmm. tried uh, was part of the trials of Jesus. His dad murdered James the Apostle. You know, and here I am. You know, this is the fourth generation of, of Herodians that the other three have been extremely wicked. And yet you see Paul standing with great confidence yeah. and, uh, you know, just, just really um, uh, not appearing not to hesitate, I, I think. Yeah, no, no hesitation at all. Now, he goes on in verse, in verse 9, he says, I barely thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and this I also did in Jerusalem, and I both shut up many of the saints in prison, in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my vote against them, and punishing them oftentimes in all the synagogues. I strove to make them blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto foreign cities, of which, of course, he was in the process of doing when he headed to Damascus back in Acts nine, which he's now going to talk about. Anything you want, you guys want to mention as far as Paul's assertions that what he was doing, he was doing because he thought he ought to do it in opposing Jesus and his followers. Yep. Okay. All right, Chase, why don't you pick it up in verse 12 and uh, take us down through verse 19. No, verse. Uh, take us down through verse... No, take us down through verse uh, 18. I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priest. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you, I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending, them to, uh, sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So not not in order that we go through these things, but one thing that that um, I want to jump on here is we find more details in this account of the conversation between Jesus and Paul on the road to Damascus than we do in the prior two accounts, the one in Acts 9 and the one in Acts 22. And here we find that in that very conversation, Jesus told him he was going to send him to the Gentiles. And something else is emphasized here is that Paul saw Jesus. It's interesting to me through the years how often I have gone through Paul's conversion story with people and how often people believe that Paul didn't actually see Jesus because he was struck blind. But Paul, it is said repeatedly that he saw Jesus. Here in Acts chapter 26 and verse 16, Paul has Jesus saying to him, Arise and stand upon your feet, for to this end have I appeared unto you. And we could go back to Acts chapter 9 and verse 27 when Barnabas took him after he was converted and brought him to Jerusalem and vouched for him or came to Jerusalem and vouched for him and said he had seen the Lord. And of course, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 once says, have I not seen the Lord? So Paul became a witness of the resurrection, just like the other apostles. 
And um, sometimes somehow a lot of people miss that. Um, but there's some other things that we should talk about in this section, but I'll let some of you guys bring up whatever you want to bring up. Well, I think uh, what, what stands out to me every time, I mean, this is the third time this is being recounted for us. And you would think, I mean, back then, Luke, you, you're going to want to preserve some of your paper for other things. So why not in chapter 22 and chapter 26, just say, and then Paul recounted his conversion story. Yeah. But like yeah. you said, he, he includes these details because Paul has a specific purpose each time he's retelling his conversion story. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think you already indicated this, so sorry if I'm repeating with, repeating you, but in verse 17, he's trying to get to why he's talking to Gentiles about the gospel in the first place. He, that's his ultimate defense. And so he's got to tell the story to get there. But I think there's a little lesson in that. I think our conversion stories are powerful to people. And as I think about my walk with Christ and the different moments I've had in my life of being away from him and then being with him, you know, I might emphasize different parts of that story depending on who I was talking to, to illustrate the point that I was trying to illustrate, if that makes sense. And so I think there's power in those kinds of stories. And I think that's why Luke goes ahead and he kind of records all the details of the three times the story. But I love the point you're making because in Acts 22, they listened to Paul up until he said something about going to the Gentiles. In uh, Acts chapter 21, he had gotten in trouble because they believed or they accused him of having brought a Gentile into the temple. Um, in his preaching, and I think it was in Acts 13 at Antioch, wasn't it? When the Gentiles started paying attention to Paul, that's when the Jews turned against it. So a lot of his problem does center around the fact that he's preaching to Gentiles and the Jews who were not believers resented the idea that Gentiles could participate in this messianic kingdom. And so I think you're right. He, he, in this instance, in this telling of his conversion story, he's not just throwing in loose details when he talks about the Lord sent him to the Gentiles. That's significant. That has to do with the very conflict that has him where he is. Mm-hmm. And he finds ways to, I don't want to say sneak the gospel in, but he's teaching the gospel as he tells this story. I mean, even down to the phrasing in verse uh, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's very intentional language on Paul's part. He's, he's trying to preach the gospel to Agrippa through this as well. What do you think he means by kick against the goad? I so, think I... I mean, is it... Sorry, go ahead, Michael. Go ahead. I don't have, have much to say. All I know is that uh, aren't goad, I, I believe goads are like prodding sticks used to like herd cattle. Yep. And uh, one, one thing I've heard is that it could be that Saul had this... Um, conscious issue where he's he's trying to um go in a direction that he actually himself uh doesn't approve of but th- that's just uh something i heard and i'm not quite sure myself what it truly means it it that makes sense that, you know you prod a cow to get going and that cow may kick kick like that doesn't like being prodded and it suggests that there were things in Paul's life, somehow God working in Paul's life that w- were prodding him, things that he saw in the law that may have been prodding him to consider the possibility that Jesus is Christ and he's resisting it. He says he thought that he ought to do, so he thought he was doing the right thing in opposing Jesus. But guys, I think I can, I, I can get that. I can get a man being in his 
in his deepest innermost core somewhat conflicted and yet believing no this can't be right this can't be the christ and uh so fighting it with all that that he's got and yet somewhere deep down there are things that keep making him wonder uh is that a is that kind of what you're saying michael yeah now that you see i think uh, what the goats could be is just everything in the law and the prophets because they ultimately do point to Jesus. So uh, I think that's 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 right. What do the other guys think? Well, well I mean, I'm not going to argue what, with Michael. What, <laughs> I, I even think about, I mean, what happened prior to this. I mean, in Acts chapter 8, as he's standing there holding the coats of those that are stoning Stephen, I mean, as you watch these people who have such a convicting amount of faith in the risen Christ, and that still doesn't move you to, to consider a different viewpoint or to look at the evidence, he's kicking against the goats. You know, I, I just think uh, that there are some things that, that were likely happening even outside of that, that that kind of demonstrate that. By the way, every time I see this word goad, it reminds me of the time I was in Bible class in middle school, and I read this as goad. And everyone made fun of me, so I get I get really nervous anytime this word comes up because that's all I can think about. <laughs> so now, when I now, saw it we'll, coming. We'll, we'll, Go ahead. We'll, we'll add that to the things that we make fun of you too. Also, a long yeah, list. It makes such a long list. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I wonder if part of the kicking against the goads um, uh, is also in verse eleven. You know, here he was trying to make these Christians blaspheme, and they wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, they held true. You know, that would have to be convicting. When you see people who are in the face of death and, uh, you know, just being unwilling to, uh, to give in to, to save themselves, save their children, perhaps. You know, so then as the Lord appears and, you know, these things that you've been doing, I, I don't disagree with the other statements as well. The, 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 the law and the prophets certainly would have been convicting uh, as he began to, to think clearer and clearer. But I think also just the experiences, maybe putting it contextually into uh, um, uh, the, the, the life of Paul in these days. Yeah, no, I, 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 in other words, you know, sometimes people talk about God working in our lives and sometimes people are thinking about God giving me a sign or something. And we don't have to go there just to think that God does bring about experiences in our lives that for, are for our good. Uh, I don't yeah. doubt that. Let's start in verse 19, Joe, and take us through verse 23. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those who in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent turn to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And so we're back to the resurrection and we're back to the mission to preach to the Gentiles. Um, I, I do think that it's important to notice that we know Paul was arrested on the pretext that he had taken a Gentile into the temple, into the inner courts of the temple. But Paul says here, it was because 
uh, of the fact that he was um, preaching in Jerusalem and Judea um, to everybody, including the Gentiles. And, and so what we get is, I think, an accurate picture. They were looking for some excuse to attack him. They opposed him. They hated him. They wanted to get him. And whether they just entirely made up the story about taking Trophimus into the temple or whether they sincerely thought that he had done so, um, they, they were already looking for something. They were peed with him, put it that way. It's also, I think, helpful to notice the consistency of the scriptures. And, and this is something that we see, especially with Luke. Uh, if you compare verses 22 and 23 with Luke 24, 44 through uh, 47 especially, um, uh, you have Jesus, when he's speaking to the apostles, he talks about the things that are written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Paul talks about what the things that the prophets and Moses said would come in uh, Luke 4, uh, Luke 24, 47, that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 46, it written uh, that's necessary that Christ to suffer. Paul says Christ to suffer, um, rise from the dead the third day. He says that he would be the first to rise from the dead and then repentance, remission of sins, be preaching his name to all nations. Paul says, that would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. It's 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 almost synonymous. I mean, or it is synonymous. It's almost exact. Uh, Luke 24, 44 through 47 with verses 22 and 23. Yeah. Kind of neat, neat how Luke ends. And we're not quite at the end of the book of Acts, but we're nearing the end. Yeah. And we're seeing what Jesus told the apostles to do of which Paul becomes one of them, that's what he did. And he's saying here, I did that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to take us in verse 24 and 25. There's a point here that, that I like. As, as he thus made his defense, Festus says with a loud voice, Paul, you are mad. Your much learning is turning you mad. And Paul says, I am not mad, most excellent Festus, but speak words of truth and soberness mad in the sense of you're you're crazy you're an insane guy you're speaking nonsense the thing is if you go back in the text paul has said in verse 8 why is it judged incredible with you if god does raise the dead his audience thinks that it's crazy to think that that somebody's been raised from the dead that makes no sense that's incredible but that was true and then a little bit later on in verse 26, in chapter 26 and verse 11, Paul tells about his own former self. And he says in verse 11, uh, in the middle of the verse, I strove to make them blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them. Uh, I was, and it's not the same word here, but it's, it's talking about I was enraged against them. I was crazy with anger against them. Um, and, and so his own former self, thought that these Christians were ridiculous. Uh, and, and now Festus thinks that Paul is mad. And, and, and the point that I want to make here is you've got the world thinking such things as resurrection is nuts. That's crazy. Paul, you're nuts for preaching Jesus Christ. Paul himself thought that the Christians who are followers of Jesus were nuts. And Paul says now in chapter 26 and verse 25, I am not mad. 
Why do you find it incredible? And, and the simple point is this, the world is going to think the things that are right and true are nuts. The world is going to think that's crazy stuff. And it really just paints a picture of a different worldview, a different perspective. And we need, if we're followers of God, we need to understand that. We're, we can't go through life expecting that everybody in the world is going to think that we just make perfect sense and, and agree with our philosophical outlook. They're going to think we're nuts. They may like us in some cases. They may even respect us in some cases. But if we go through the world trying to just be thought of as perfectly acceptable to the worldly mind and also pleasing God, we're going to find we've got an impossible task cut out for us. So uh, did the ASV there, did it say, I'm speaking words of sober truth in verse 25? Words of truth and soberness. Truth and soberness. Okay, mm -hmm. gotcha. All right. Yeah, so the, my translation says, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. So um, soberness is good uh, judgment. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's, that's kind of cool. But yeah, I think that that's the contrast. Sorry, go ahead, Joe. Uh, uh, there's a, I think there's a verse in, I believe it's Romans, uh, that, that this one reminded me of, which is uh, that we preach Christ, which is a, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. First Corinthians. Corinthians. Yeah. 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 First Corinthians. I'll just give the reference. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 23. Yeah. So this, this whole thing is just really, it's, it's cool to me. And of course, I like that good judgment. I'm speaking words of sober truth or, or good judgment. This is the truth. This is what's going to happen, whether you like it or not. And Paul, in his encounters and his interactions with people, he puts up them to a certain point, but he's not afraid to drop the hammer. Um, he, he's not afraid to just get to the nitty gritty with them and finally say what they need to hear. And I mean, when you think about it, I, I'm so sorry, I get them all mixed up, but was it Felix or Festus? He spoke about judgment and self-control and righteousness. That was uh, Felix. Which, which one was it? Yeah. yeah. Felix. Uh, Felix. He, just, he just gets down to the nitty gritty and he is un, unafraid to tell them what they need to hear. And we need and to this, be more like this, that. This soberness or sobriety, which your translation says good judgment, is the opposite of maniac. So when he when when Festus says you are mad, um, he's using the word um, mine, which we from which we get maniac, um, yeah. and and then Paul says I am not mad. Uh, what I'm saying is sound. It's good judgment. It's sound. It's of sound mind. It's true, and it's of sound mind. Yeah. Is that is that word the same one that Jesus' parents call him in Mark three? Or Jesus' uh, family, they think he's gone out of his mind. He's out of his senses. Yeah, let, me, let me check real quick. Um, I'll check. Go go ahead and I'll check that. Well, well, well if it is, well, then there's, a, there's another comparison for you, Joe, if it is, uh, right. if it is the same word. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it isn't. So, so many. Sure. Um, let me back up a little bit while uh, Jeff is uh, checking out that Greek I thought he had memorized. Um, the... Uh, in verse 20, when he says that they should, that he's preaching that they should repent, uh, when you guys hear the word repent, which is pretty commonly uh, mentioned in uh, the gospel accounts and in the book of Acts, 
how would you define repent there? Turn, to turn away. And so then what's the next phrase? To turn to God. Yeah, and so like, how, how do you distinguish those? I guess is my question. Like, like, what's the difference? You know, if I'm going to have a good three-point sermon out of this text, you know, repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance, uh, I'm just trying to think, and, and it's always been a little bit of a challenge for me to, you know, it sort of seems like we're looking at the same kind of thing. I yeah. think there is so, a, a difference. Go ahead. So it's the, it's the difference. I'm just shooting from the hip. I mean, could the difference mean the repent is, that's the stopping point. That's the stopping in your tracks. And then he's spelling it out a little bit more. Okay, now you stop. Now you need to turn to God. And then you need to bear out fruit in keeping with repentance. Do works worthy of repentance. So a stop, a turn around, and then a go. Yeah, I, I like that. And and maybe compare that back to Acts but 5. You disagree. No, no, I don't. Uh, okay. Oh, Jeff okay. does. Um, uh, so may, maybe compare it to Acts 5 when... Uh, uh, the apostles were preaching and uh, said, or I'm sorry, Peter and John uh, said, repent therefore and be converted. Yeah. So maybe thinking about the conversion is the, uh, the turning to God. Um, and so stop doing the bad things, turn to God, and then there needs to be the fruit borne out in uh, that, uh, in that belief. So I don't know. Uh, Jeff or Michael, you got a different way of uh, explaining those uh, that terminology there? Well, I was busy. I wasn't really listening. I was busy trying to go back, and I, I couldn't remember the exact context, so it took me a minute to find it. And once I found it, I remembered, yeah, actually, I, I could have told you. <laughs> um, but it is literally in Mark 3, 21, I think it is. Yes. It is literally beside himself. Uh, so it is a different expression, but it, it's funny. We talk about somebody who's beside himself with anger or whatever. It, it, it's when, you know, you're kind of out of your, out of your mind. Uh, but that's literally what it says beside himself in Mark three. So I don't know what you guys said about repenting. Uh, I, I understand <laughs> repenting to be a change of heart. You know, it's it's an inward change. So, I, I think I did hear you allude to Acts three, didn't you, Joe? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Did you what you talk about when he says repent and turn again, or repent and be converted? Yeah, repent and be converted. Here he says repent and turn to God. Yeah, and so and so what it, were you making the point that there is the inward repentance that results in the outward change in action? Yeah, but there but in this text it seems like there's a there's a there's a middle element where it's repent, turn to God. And then do works fitting of repentance. Okay. That's, that the 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 third element there in Acts twenty six twenty seems to be the the doing the 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 changes that are that are manifested there. So yeah, repent uh, turn again doing works. Unless you take the doing works worthy of repentance as just a further explanation of turning again. But you do, you have the similar kind of thing that John the Baptist says in, in Matthew chapter three, uh, where he says, uh, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Mm -hmm. So you've got the repentance and then the fruits that bear it out. Right. right. So. And, and I guess the, I, I, 
what I was wanting to do was not to confuse the text, uh, but to say that, that that is like one smooth action. It needs to be, it needs to be one complete action that, that's right. taking place. You can't say I repent and then, and then, well, maybe in a few years I'll change my actions. It, right. It's, it's a package. Yeah. That's why right. I, I'm not convinced that, um, repenting and turning to God are two separate actions, but rather than being one of the same. Because like Jeff said, you can't really repent without turning to God. You, you, if you don't turn to God, you have not, don't really have anything to repent from or someone to repent to. Yeah, and so then it's just the challenge there of why does he say two different things, but yeah. You know, but on, on Michael's point, it reminds me, and I'm kind of thinking this as I turn to it, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, repentance toward God. We often think of repentance from something, but there he talks about repentance towards something. Right. And so this change of heart is not just a change of heart that says, you know what, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. It's also a turning toward God. I am going to follow the Lord. Um, repentance toward God. Yeah. Even even the ideas of you know Mark one, repent and believe in the gospel. Now we would normally, I, I think, if we were going to say that without thinking of the scripture, we would say it the opposite way. We would. We would. We would we say would believe repent. and repent. Yeah, because how do we learn to repent? What what are we going to repent of? Well, because we believed in the gospel. But but that but you have the same thing in this Acts twenty and twenty one, testifying both the Jews and the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. But it, it does make sense to me in that context because you've got Jews who have who have disbelieved God and and not trusted in God's word, and that's why they have not come to Jesus. And so they need to have a different attitude toward God and his word and then result in um, believing in Jesus. Yeah, we're out of time. Chase is telling us we're out of time. Are, are you trying to say one last word? All right, we're out of time. All right, guys, thank you. And for those of you listening, thank you very much for being with us today. And Lord willing, we will see you next week.